Before we kick off this episode, I have a big announcement that Sub 4 to States film I put together is officially on YouTube and it's ready to be viewed. So it's the first film that I've put together. It basically had a zero budget and I basically had zero time to put it together. I think it came together nicely, but I want to give you a taste of the film. So there's quite a few different interviews you know, beyond just having Matt Daniels on. David Roach, you know, took a big role in storytelling. You know, he's a, an awesome coach, awesome person. And we get to hear about everything leading into States. We actually see David during States, and then we get to hear after the finish line from David Roach. So very cool to have him included. He is Matt Daniels' coach. Matt Daniels is my coach. Um, but yeah, also in the film, Hayden Hawks, Joshua Stevens, um, Ultra Runner podcast, Eric Schranz, Andy Jones, Andy Jones Wilkins and Craig Thornley and a few others. But, you know, I, I tried to round out just whoever was there to get their insights and, you know, I've gotten a lot of really great feedback. Again, this is just my very first film, so it's not perfect. I'm not perfect. No one is perfect. <laughs> Um, but hopefully it inspires you. Hopefully it tells Matt's story. Let's get a, let's get a little taste of the film right here. You know, going under four minutes in the mile, like I think probably the best way for a normal person that might not do that to understand is that every ounce of your being wants you to stop. And it wants you to stop not at the end, but early in that race. Your body is on the rivet from the gun and you know, yet you're holding it for four minutes that feels like an eternity. And so with that in mind, like four minute mile is not something that happens just through like talent. Four minute mile is something that happens through absolutely understanding why you're doing what you're doing and being willing to be a puddle on the track after. Um, you know, we all have those moments where every ounce of our being is like, I don't want to do this anymore. Most of us can't push through that. Um, and you know, going sub four shows you can see that wall, then break through that wall with Matt, as it related to hundreds, when we approached this year, Western States was not the goal. Um, you know, I had a very strong feeling he was going to get a golden ticket. Like I know how fit he is and I, I've seen his training, but you know, he's, he's not quite at the point I think where Western States like winning is the is the goal you know the the sacrifices he'd have to make in training for his long-term growth at this stage are probably too great so you know as we approach this we're like look we're doing these races the only goal of black canyon was to finish i'm like i don't at this point i don't really care where you finish just promise me that no matter what happens when the stuff hits the fan like we'll walk, we'll crawl to the finish if we have to, especially given some of Matt's background, like before, before he started joined coaching with some unlucky results at ultras. Um, and you know, the thing with Matt is like for him, just finishing turned into, I think one of the better races we've seen in a long time. Um, and yeah, as that applies to hundred miles, I don't think anyone knows until they, until they get to mile 90, 95, if you're Jim Walmsley or whatever, like it, it's just a different beast and how the physiology responds at that stage is anyone's guess. And I don't care about, you know, that day on Western States. I care about that day after and that he still has that same fire burning, um, no matter what happens. 
And that was a moment I, I can look back on now. And uh, that was one of my favorite moments, getting a foot massage by Hayden at mile 62. This is um, a fan of yours, and I'm just calling in to express my admiration. It's Dean Carnassus, the ultra marathon man. Hello, listeners. This is Chris Mako, and we are live. And you're listening to Training for Ultra podcast. This is Anime Flynn, and I'm here talking to Training for Ultra podcast. Yeah, it's like really, I just need to catch up with Rob. 100 miles is not that far. I, I thought oh. it was a joke, actually. It, it is. I thought it was one of your jokes, yeah. It is a joke. Okay. okay. <laughs> so classic. Oh my god, you because literally thing would be like beep, beep, beep. Mother, mother, beep. Mother, mother, beep, beep. Mother, beep, mother, beep, 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 beep. One, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Training for Ultra Podcast. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra Podcast. Welcome to episode 108 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. In this episode is my Tahoe 200 race recap, second leg of the Triple Crown. It was a weird race. Honestly, like just you'll hear about it, but everything was just a little off. Um, I had awesome crew, awesome pacer. Um, Lori, Cindy, and Paul were just huge help. So I appreciate them. Extra little shout out to them. Um, But, you know, part of this race went incredibly well. Part of this race was just totally off. Like, I felt like it was a missed opportunity. But end of the day, I got it done. I learned some really big lessons in terms of gear. And uh, I'm ready for Moab 240. I'm going to tag on those extra miles to make it a 401k for cancer research. And I'm excited, you know, like I, I really, uh, I'm bringing sort of the dream team of ultra running to come support me and help me because we are trying to raise money for histiocytosis and just, I mean, we're trying to raise awareness of it. And we're also, I just feel for Celia, who is the, um, you've probably seen a few updates of her eight-year-old. Uh, a friend of mine, it's it's her daughter from work, and she's going through 12 months of chemotherapy, and it sounds like it's been rough. She's a trooper, um, and hopefully this can inspire them, you know, raise awareness, and then really give me the extra boost that I'll likely need. But having perspective during Moab 240 last year really helped, and I think it will help this year. Thank you, first of all, to um, Kogala was was one of the film supporters. So I got to give them a shout out, and I'll put a link to Sub Four to States in the show notes. Definitely check it out. I think it's uh, worth your time. But big thank you to Hammer Nutrition. If you haven't used them before, you need a referral code twenty five twenty eight eighty eight. You'll save fifteen percent off your first order. I'll lean heavily on Hammer throughout Moab as I always do in every race, sort of my go-to, a lot of gels, a lot of perpetuum, and a lot of fizz. And then I also use a lot of their vitamins and extras, um, either before or after, not normally during. Big thank you to Sufferfest Beer. Check out their website. You know, they're rolling out national distribution, and uh, you might be excited to find, you know, 
someone that carries them that's local. So check that out. Big thank you to them. They're also they're supporting both Hammer and Sufferfest are supporting the Amazon TV show that Ryan Clayton and I are putting together um, all about my triple crown of 200s experience there. So that'll be fun to try out a new platform and try to get higher end content a chance with um, like 99 cent episodes just so we can actually have professionals um, making some kind of living doing this or at least break even. Um, Big thank you to Ultimate Direction. I think I'll be using their rain pants as an update um, along with their waist vest with the Kogala light. I really like that setup and I'll be using the Mountain 4.0 vest. It's gotten me through the season thus far and I'm not going to change anything that's actually working. I will be changing some other gear so I'll keep you apprised there. Big thank you to Destination Trail, Candace Burt and her team, Crystal, everyone involved there. Just really appreciate what they do. They put on races of all distances. So if you haven't checked out their website, they have some new races coming up. They have, again, races of all distances, and they're all in like absolutely stunningly beautiful areas. So definitely give them a a look. And last but not least, Exoskin. I'll be wearing tons of their socks, compression, uh, calf sleeves, base layers. I'm definitely going to have their upper kind of compression shirt um, that helps evaporate except it compresses and it's a warm layer that traps you know warmer air it's a really high-tech shirt and it's long sleeve most importantly so i'll have that on um likely for a good section of moab moab's going to have a lot of hotter sections too so it's going to be a hard race in terms of balancing gear and balancing electrolytes and nutrition i don't think there's ever a moab t40 that's easy but this, I think Candace Burt announced that this could be the hottest on record, yet it's still going to be um, a high of 40 at night. So we could see uh, cold, frozen stuff in the LaSalle's again. So, um, you know, last shout out would be to Empower Retirement, who is matching external funds up to $5,000, which I think we're getting close to hitting their They're matching internal funds that are being donated to the uh, 401k run for pediatric cancer and just appreciate that support. And again, my entire focus now that sub four to states is out there, you guys can enjoy that. Um, My focus is on this fundraising effort and Moab and that's, I'm going into taper as of pretty much today. You know, I feel a hundred percent, no injuries, Thankfully, um, I might do just honestly some gear testing and just trying to relax and and force myself not to run, even though I'll be itching to run a lot over the next two weeks. And a lot of this is going to be talking to crew and getting the strategy set up so that we have people in place where they need to be in case you know I hit rough rough spots. So I will um, I'll likely have Matt Daniels, Anime Flynn and Kyle Pitari on for a group call that we'll record. And they are kind of my core team. I'm also going to have a friend, uh, Jen, who's an ultra runner uh, involved. And I might have one or two others, but again, it's a balance. You want your crew to be nimble. Um, You want to have enough there, but at the same time, you don't want more logistics going into the crew than the actual race itself for your, for your own mental sake. So 
Here's my Tahoe 200 race recap. These are always either really popular or, you know, people move on from it. Hopefully you enjoy it. It gives uh, a lot of details as to what, what took place at Tahoe 200. And I have a episode recorded already with Kyle Pitari, which should be a good one. I hope you guys will enjoy that one too. So thanks for the support. Thank you to those Patreon supporters. Have a great week of training. Have fun out there. You'll get out a lot more if you're smiling. Have a good week. See ya. So Tahoe 200. It was uh, quite the experience. I'm still trying to put it together because of how much actually took place during the race, but got there extra early, was not stressed at stressed out at all. Um, went through the check-in process and just hung out and tried to catch up with friends. I found with 200 milers, I mean, you can't be stressed out with travel, even with 100 milers, any kind of ultra distance, chill out before the race. Like that is key. I really learned that well with Matt Daniels. I also learned that at Georgia death race this year, almost missing my flight, being super stressed out and not having a good race at all. So I've, I've learned that you need to be patient, um, you know, book that extra day and just, yeah, let your body relax because you're really taxing yourself on a different level. It's not only physical during these races. So mentally, emotionally, um, yeah. So I, I got to Tahoe pretty early, you know, I was in a really good mood. I was really laid back. Um, my focus was, you know, just putting together a good second stage to the triple crown. I was highly focused on on Moab, if anything, um, just with the fundraising efforts taking off. So we we rented this big, huge place. I mean, at least in my head, it was it was quite a big condo, and we had like I think seven or eight people in there. And this was in Squaw Valley, which is a, a quick. 10, 15 minute drive to the start line. And I picked Squaw Valley specifically because it's the start line of Western States 100. I really like that kind of Olympic village vibe. And I just wanted some extra motivation and I was a little surprised. So race morning, they shut down a lane of traffic for construction and it took over an hour to get to the start line at Tahoe 200. So, uh, we had about four cars, you know, including Ryan Clayton was there, um, you know, trying to shoot some film and then Lori, one of my, uh, actually Patreon supporters that I've become friends with wanted to crew and pace. She took kind of, um, crew captain, kind of the head of my Tahoe 200. I really wanted to keep my crew small and nimble. Um, so she had a friend, Cindy and Cindy's husband, Paul, and they, the three of them were my, my team. So Lori and I were sitting in traffic and it was so bad that I just got out of the car and walked up and, you know, I was talking to Ryan. I went up to, uh, Julie's car and was like, Hey, this is not looking good. And, uh, Cindy and Paul were at the start line and we were relaying messages to them, but, we missed the start line. We missed the start of Tahoe 200. So I have never missed the start of any race, but I guess if I'm going to miss any start, 
one that is going to be three or four days long with a hundred, I think it's a 105 hour cutoff might be a hundred, um, probably pretty good luck in that respect. So Candace and Crystal were super nice, very understanding. And yeah, I got my GPS spot tracker and there was no one there. The race had started probably 35 minutes late later. And, uh, it was more mentally difficult than anything because it's not like you can just go make up 35 minutes. Like it's going to take possibly a hundred miles to do that. Um, Julie's car rolled in maybe two minutes, three minutes later, she got her spot tracker. And I was like, well, you know, it, and we had talked before the race and I was like, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. You do your own thing. We had run a few miles at Bigfoot. I decided, okay, well, mentally we're, we're kind of screwed right now. So let's team up and at least get ourselves back in the race here. And so we went off, we had our own separate countdown. It was pretty cool, Candace, to do that. And immediately we took a wrong turn. We went a quarter of a mile off course, pulled up Gaia, that GPS app on your phone, corrected. So there we were, probably 40 to 45 minutes now behind everyone, um, hiking up this pretty big incline and, uh, I think we shocked Hillary and Scott who um, were out there. They were not expecting to see people um, that far behind. And so trying to smile for a photo was a little difficult at that point. Just because I really felt like the triple crown was slipping through my hands. Like I could feel um, the potential of Candace just hiking up at that point and be like, hey guys, like, I'm sorry, I'm trying to be nice, but you just went off trail like within the first five minutes, like, like you guys just missed this one. So I was just waiting for that to happen, but we got hiking and we got started running and we made it down to Baker pass aid station. So I think it was right around seven, seven and a half miles, probably eight for us, but we, um, caught several runners, you know, we hit that aid station. It was going to be a long stretch um, to the next part, but next aid station. But I think seeing other runners finally after it might've been 10 miles actually, uh, just got that rhythm in my head. Like, okay, like this is really happening. You're not going to get pulled from the course. I know this was like worst case scenario in terms of race starts. It really doesn't get any worse than that. Um, and so we kept hiking, we came across a guy who rolled his ankle and he was hiking backwards. So it became like a real race. Felt bad for him. Talk about rough, rough way to start your race. But we hit the Rubicon trail, very, very dusty. And if anything, starting that far behind was sort of good luck in respect that, you know, we weren't breathing in. 25 people directly in front of us kicking up dust. Like I, I heard from other people that, you know, the trail's so dusty with all those people. Um, and later in the race, I did see a lot of people with breathing problems and um, respiratory issues. So always use your buff over your face if you're listening. It's like, I definitely remember that at Havelina 100. Like if you're seeing dust, you need to be 
protecting your eyes with eye drops and then protect your lungs with a buff or whatever you can. I know it's technically not going to help that much with that fine particle dust, but um, the Rubicon was hard. There's a reason that there is a Jeep Rubicon that is kind of hardcore. Um, it's named after this trail. And the dust on the Rubicon is like granite rock dust, and it destroys your feet. It doesn't matter how much squirrels nut butter you have, how many pairs of toe socks. Yeah, I went through tons of pairs of exoskin. Um, this stuff was so fine and so tough and just, it got in your shoes and would destroy your feet. So, um, that was just a slow grind and we kept passing. We, we started catching up with the back of the pack there and mentally, I think, um, I mean, we ran with headphones on for the vast majority of, uh, that the race up to that point. And we, you know, it, it was a good feeling to start catching up with the actual race. And so part of the triple crown of 200s is the accumulated fatigue. And I think we we're right around 18 miles in and Julie was feeling Bigfoot um, 200 catch up to her. And so and it started getting hot. I mean, people were struggling regardless of what previous race they had done. Um, for some reason I was feeling okay. And I, that's, that was kind of like the first like major separation where I was like, I'm going to push to, um, get down to Loon Lake. So I, I pushed hard for probably three or four miles. And I would say this was a consistent part of my race was suffering a little bit to get into the aid station an extra 15 to 20 minutes earlier. Um, than I might have otherwise. And so it, the strategy paid off because with that extra 15 to 20, I could take a nap. I could get extra food in me and my legs would reset. So as long as your legs reset and you're not totally um, breaking those muscles down, I mean, it was a strategy that was working for me. And so um, at Loon Lake, I think, Julie rolled in maybe 15 minutes after me, and then I was feeling good. I was taking my time. I wanted to cool down, and it was weird because I asked my crew, and they're like, yeah, you're pretty much middle of the pack already, and so it, it took only roughly 30 miles, and I mean, the only part that I was really pushing was the uh, getting, getting down to Lean Lake there, but uh, for the next segment, once again, uh, we teamed up. And since mentally it was working really well, since that was such a tough way to start a race, um, we teamed up with a bunch of people there to get to Tells Creek and it wasn't the longest segment, but I was having a rough, rough go at it there. Um, I think maybe I'd hit that, um, getting to Loon Lake too hard. I don't know. I, I can't really pin it down, but, um, all I kept running for was super high calorie food and getting to Tells Creek and seeing the aid station food options there. I was, I'll be honest. I was like disappointed. I really, really needed some high, high calorie food and it just wasn't, there were tons of people there. There were probably 
35 people overwhelming these poor two <laughs> cook volunteers that, you know, they, they couldn't make food fast enough because there were just a bunch of hungry, destroyed ultra runners um, trying to get warm food because they cooled down enough. Uh, I saw Howie there. It was, it was a rough, um, I just remember putting my head down. Like I didn't even try to smile for the, for a photo. Um, so yeah, getting, getting there was rough. We ended up once again, uh, leaving again, uh, together. And then, um, yeah, just pushing. It got dark. It got, for me, it was kind of a rough go at it. Um, and I just, we kept going. I mean, that's half of ultra running. And I think we hit one other aid station. And then the next big one was uh, Sierra at Tahoe. Getting there was rough. It was really rough for me. Um, there was not much talking going on at that point. And, uh, I think most of the, the runners around us were having a rough go at it. And, um, I'm trying to recall exactly like anything specific there. It was just the aid station would never come cause they never do it two hundreds. Like anytime you expect a logical distance marker, like, ah, oh, you know, I've been at it for X amount of hours. No, like at, Candace's races, it's always you earn every aid station. And so um yeah, I was excited to get to that spot because I I hadn't seen my my crew since uh just that 50k mark at Loon Lake. And so I was really pushing and I think I was hitting kind of like a sleep bonk situation too. So not only the previous aid station foods were just not hitting the spot, but, um, I was hitting probably enough hours of continuous running that like just everything was kind of shutting down. And there was a, a giant climb and there was a sign that said 1.5 miles to, uh, to this, where this aid station should be. And so we passed a ton of people. Like we really were, we had like a steady rhythm to this climb. It was probably 20 it was probably 2000 feet of climb in a mile and a half and it wasn't there so like i think it was another two to three miles so to mentally be set you know listening to music pushing doing a big climb getting ready for mentally to hit the aid station and then have it be that much further away was uh yeah it was not a great uh you know, mental way to handle that situation. I shouldn't have set expectations at a mile and a half. I should have known that ahead of time. So finally getting to see my crew, you know, it was a big relief that a ton of really good food. I, of course, I always come into an aid station and eat as high of calorie food as possible. That's what I learned at Bigfoot. So I had a burger, I had bars, I had basically anything and everything I could and that was a weird aid station because uh, Lori had set up a chair. I sat down in it, laid back, and had a awesome three-minute nap. And I joked, like, this is the race where I nailed and, and learned how to, like, truly take a five-minute nap. But that 
three minute nap was super refreshing. And, uh, I, I think I even had a dream during that nap. Uh, it was, it was great. It reset me. I tried to do a 10 to 15 minute nap after that. I ate some more food, changed socks, you know, did whatever. And, uh, my crew was awesome. They like counted down the minutes and woke me up and everything. And I think that was, so I, I took an extra 10 minute nap and then that timed out with, um, Julie being ready to go again. And so we did a, um, we did that one more section, uh, together. I think it was, and that was, um, it was hard to get back out there. Uh, it was a shorter section following that, that, um, quicker aid station there. And I think the sun was coming up. So I think I waited intentionally 10 minutes to take a nap also so that I could drop my, uh, I have a UD belt that has a Kogala light on it with a battery pack. And so I was kind of strategic in that regard so that I didn't have to carry the extra weight for a whole segment. And so, uh, we, we took off, uh, think that segment was when Julie was having a lot of trouble and um, it was cool. I, I met a female out there that was like a big time podcast listener. I, I met a ton of people that listened to the podcast, but it was interesting. More people had listened or watched the, uh, the Moab 240 video than any mention of the podcast. Um, I just thought that was fascinating that 200 milers are likely watching videos on 200s and maybe not necessarily listening to podcasts. I don't know. Uh, So I did finish that segment feeling strong, feeling like energetic. And um, it was right around the 100K mark. And it was cool. Like my, my crew had got together this giant box of tacos for me from Taco Bell. And I immediately ate as many as I could and they were quite delicious <laughs> hard shell tacos because I'm I try to reduce as much gluten as possible but um yeah you'll see you'll see on Amazon uh a big smile on my face with a giant box of tacos <laughs> I still think tacos I mean email me let me know give me feedback here people but do you not think tacos are the perfect aid station food I mean seriously like you can you could have a vegan option, um, you know, vegetarian option, and a, a meat option, and you could almost have like make your own taco bar. It would probably be easier than making any kind of burgers or anything. Um, let me know what you think. I think that's kind of a genius idea. Um, you could have the taco aid station somewhere. Maybe, maybe I'll have to do that at one of my races next year. Um, so, getting to Armstrong was a big struggle. I ran out of water. I hit a river just in time. There was a big climb and I, once again, I was struggling hard and it wasn't me. It was a lot of other people. The heat was like reflecting off these rocks as we were climbing and it took everything out of me just to like walk a quarter of a mile, sit on a rock. It was that sort of thing. And it was weird because it wasn't just me. It was like all six of these guys were all doing it at the same time. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was running with, I think it was a 
police officer from the East Coast, and we were just struggling. He's like, why don't we hit caffeine here? And I was like, ah, oh, caffeine, no. Like, I've learned you don't want to hit caffeine with heat because your blood's already having to circulate extra, and uh, you don't want to overwork your heart in a, uh, a hot situation. So caffeine's normally the wrong option, but after about half an hour of that, I was like, okay, I'm desperate. Let's hit, let's hit caffeine. I did. And I finally got out of that funk that it was like never ending. I felt like two hours of just like death march in the heat. I don't know why my body wasn't handling the heat better. It made me a little concerned about Moab 240, but then I finally hit this downward section and just hammered. I was, uh, was definitely dropping below 10 minute pace easily, probably below nine minute pace. And intentionally for that four miles in, I wanted to bank a little bit of time, which is always a dangerous word to use and get down to that aid station, get to those tacos that were in the cooler (laughs) and, uh, have some more food and take a nap. And once again, that was my strategy, hammer it into the aid station, suffer, suffer for a little bit and then use that extra time to have even greater recovery. So it's a little risky, but I um, got down there. You know, the whole crew was there. They had everything set up. It's great to see them. Um, I got as much food in as possible, took a a little bit of a nap, and Lori was going to pace me into uh, Heavenly, which was great. You know, I needed a pacer. They had the car logistics all set up, and... It was a big climb out of Armstrong, slow grind, very, very slow. Um, definitely a few sitting on rocks, eating a gel, feeling sorry for myself. Uh, Lori kept the conversation positive. We just kept kind of just grinding up this climb. And so I didn't see really anyone at that point. I figured, uh, yeah, it's maybe a good sign because that would mean like everyone behind me was probably struggling up that climb also. And so getting to the top, I think was a good little turning point for the most part. I got to see Riley up there. I think he was taking down the 100K course markers. He's the aid station savior from my book. Um, and yeah, we started getting some leg turnover, but it was, it was pretty just slow going. And there was a beautiful sunset, absolutely stunning over Lake Tahoe. So to get to see that, I picked my spirits up a little bit. But when it got dark, it got windy. And uh, there was really a cool part of the Tahoe Rim Trail that we hit that wound around the mountain, overlooked, I think, I forget what city it was. It was just stunning. Um, And then I decided to hammer And Lori and I ran really hard and we thought we were probably two miles out. And after about a mile of, of once again, like sub 10 minute pace, uh, it was very obvious that that, uh, aid station was going to be further away. So mentally that kind of destroyed me. I started hiking. I probably started complaining and uh, Lori's like, no, it's closer than it looks because like the uh, the town down below 
it looked like it was three, four miles away. Mentally, I was just like ready to take a nap. Like I'd been out there for quite some time. I think it was right around the hundred mile mark. And eventually we got in. Sleep car was all set up. I hit some food really quick and it was getting a little colder out, but I I got in a nice sleep there. Uh, I think an hour and a half. And then it was out on my own once again. And so out of heavenly, it was kind of surreal. It was so dark. I was kind of in a mental fog because I just slept so much. And yeah, it was a 20 mile segment all by myself in the dark. I got lost for a quarter of a mile during a road crossing. And then I ran back down because instinctually that's what you want to do to correct your mistakes, which is the wrong decision every time. Anytime you get off trail, take a deep breath. Don't change your pace to get back on the trail. But after that wake up call, I hammered. I felt really good. Um, I got some messages that my GPS tracker wasn't working at that point. So I was like, oh, okay, no worries. Um, and I just consistently had a good stretch of trail. So that was a 20 mile segment. It took me just over six hours and I was running into Spooner Lake feeling like a million bucks. And so I decided, you know, in previous races I've waited till I have, I don't know, like big, Bigfoot, it was wait until I had like 35 miles to go. Um, I felt like that was a little too conservative. So this race, I wanted to start running right around the halfway mark. And it turned out, you know, I felt good. So I was going to leverage that. But yeah, getting down to Spooner Lake, I actually beat the cameraman, Ryan, and I beat Lori to that aid station. So that was kind of weird. I showed up um, and my crew, I think I shot them a text message and they're like, oh, we're two minutes out. Like, we'll be there in a minute. And... I felt good. I had, you know, good breakfast there. They had a great aid station, high calories. I think you got some more bars in and just continued to, uh, continued forward and, and really was like, wow. Like I looked at my time. I'm like, I can even do sub 70 if I'm just like grinding it out here. So I went from DFL at the start line. I think there was maybe one guy that started, um, uh, an hour after uh, Julie and I's like super delayed start. But yeah, there's definitely a point in the race where I was the very last person um, to now potentially running a sub 70 hour Tahoe 200, which is very, very solid. And I was aggressive, pushed that next section and started climbing, had a really great conversation um, I saw Hillary out there. We just chatted forever. It was great. It really took my mind off the long kind of strenuous climb. She's out there getting ready for a shot or something. I, I don't know what she was doing. Um, but I was mentally in a great spot. And after that big climb, there's just a spectacular view. And I just continued to crush. I was running the whole time. You know, and anything flat to down, I was running. And I think there was a deep descent that I, I think my legs started to feel just how 
um, how steep of a uh, descent that was. And so I think it was called, um, let's see, Spooner Lake. I'm trying to remember what it was called. Tunnel Creek, I think it was. Like I had about four miles to go and it was through this beautiful uh, national park or I think it was a state park. And I, I just, it took quite a bit out of me to get to that next aid station. I'm not sure why it was so hard. Um, I mean, I think mainly it was running out of water and having three miles to go, but the descent down was just, uh, spectacular. I felt like I was maybe in California while well, I was in California. Um, I felt like I was descending down to like the Pacific ocean, but it was actually Lake Tahoe. It was absolutely gorgeous. It was heating up. So I got to the aid station with a big smile on my face. I ate a bunch of food. The volunteers made me two giant grilled cheese. Everything was going according to plan. I was really on point and passing people. I know probably past 10 people at that aid station, just feeling great, having a hard time believing that, you know, things were going this well. And the next section was really difficult. There was a bike path for maybe three or four miles, kept running. And the bike path led to this like steep incline, which led to a power line section. Anytime there's power line sections, uh, take note of that. Any course, regardless of where you are in the world, most likely it's not a smooth, easy path. It's cut through a mountain to make sure power gets to where it needs to go. They don't think about the grade or anything like that. Climb took forever. It was maybe a one mile stretch. And I want to say it took almost 30 minutes at least. It was so steep. Um, Making it to the top felt good. I was still really, really in positive spot. And then we hit a water section. There's like a river there. And oh my God, I was so, so excited to cool down. And after that river, I bonked. I don't know what happened. Um, I don't know if I diluted my electrolytes or what I did, but something hit me and I it took everything out of me to walk. And so I was trying to eat gels and trying to keep going. Um, something hit me after that power line section and it took me, God, it probably took an hour or maybe even two to regroup. And I had plenty of water on me because I had filled up at that aid station and I, I realized that I had probably oversalted. Um, I'm still not convinced. <laughs> but after two hours of just utter, like, kind of zombie walking, I think it was maybe an hour and a half. And it was uphill. It was just torturous for me. I hit water. I think I had maybe a quarter of a bottle of just pure water. And all of a sudden, my body finally reset. Everything felt good. Started running, started crushing. And I knew I was getting close to the next aid station where I had a sleep car set up. Life was good again. I was really, really cruising considering, I don't know, this was probably mile 140 or something like that. 
um, hammering, clip my toe, totally wipe out, crash, face planted on the trail, and momentum carried me off the side of the trail. I haven't fallen in probably two or three years of running. Um, so that was an eye opener. I was very, very fortunate. I didn't hurt myself. I just had some bumps and bruises and some minor cuts, but wow, that was an eye opener. I go from feeling great, having just bonked to eating dirt. And the worst part was trying to film it too. Um, for the, for the Amazon TV show, trying to get out a GoPro after you just ate it was, uh, that was not fun, but my head felt kind of off after that fall. So, um, Brockway summit, I think is the aid station, you know, getting in there. I don't know. It, it was, uh, sobering having had finally like picked up good section, ate it, just felt a little off. Everything about that aid station was a little off. Uh, I don't think I got really that great of sleep. I think the, um, the plan was for like 20 or 30, which turned into probably an hour of, of sleep or of break, which really didn't translate into any quality sleep. I kept forgetting stuff, um, in terms of, and, and I had the medic check. I did not have a concussion or anything like that. So don't think I was forgetting. It was more just fatigue and I don't know, sleep deprivation at that point. But I just, I kept forgetting stuff. Um, you know, you had those bad aid stations and Lori was on point. She's helping with everything. But I left that aid station knowing like I just everything was a little off. Couldn't get it together. And uh, my nose started to bleed. It was just like everything kept going wrong. Uh, I couldn't keep going. I tried as hard as I could to just continue to push and run. Uh I had to get out my emergency sleep blanket and laid it down. I was a little freaked out. I was in the deep, dark woods here. Um, notorious for bears in the area. Took my pack off. Slept. Got up. Um, felt okay. Just hiked for another half an hour. Laid down. Took another 17-minute nap. Nothing. Kept going, did it one more time. I was just, I was forcing myself to try to reset with a quick nap. They lasted for maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes, nothing. The whole segment was going to hell. Um, I just couldn't get it together. And so this 20 mile segment, again, I had a previous one that took me six hours. You know, I, I'm halfway through, I ran out of water. I'm oversalted again. Uh, it just was a horrible, horrible 20-mile segment. I found myself on a segment of trail where I had to go off course by a quarter of a mile to look for a water source. I didn't find it. Um, some guys ran by and had some extra water. It was Steven and Dan, just super nice dudes. Uh, they let me join them for... A few miles and they kept going, felt like an incredibly fast pace. Um, I might have had a little bit of leg turnover for a half mile, but that was it. 
and uh, I was desperate. I was out of water, and my eyes kept getting heavy, so I took a nap or two once again. But what really freaked me out was I was on a section of trail where there's a sizable drop-off to the right, and I was so exhausted, my eyes would close, and then I'd open them, and I'd be on a different section of trail. So it was like sleep running. I was hallucinating stuff. Like, things were getting ugly, and I was just desperate to get to Tahoe City. Um, I did everything I could to get there, and it just took forever I think it was the 12-hour segment. So to go from running twice that speed and having decent energy to just having it all ripped away from you was uh, really, really rough. Almost to the point where I, like, I don't know, I walked walked into Tahoe City almost just in tears. I wasn't crying, but, like, I just didn't know how it could get any worse than that. It was just awful. Um, anytime... Miles are taking more than 30 minutes on average. It was just torture. Um, I had good perspective, but man, uh, it was dangerous when you're sleep running on sheer drop-offs. So I was very fortunate. Tahoe City, I got a lot of food in me, got some sleep, and got up in a totally different reset mind frame ready to go. So... There was only that aid station and then Stephen Jones, and that was it. And so Tahoe City, Stephen Jones, I think was another just giant segment. I think it was 20 miles again without aid stations. And I left running. I felt great. I reset my system. Uh, Tahoe City aid station was a really clear turning point. And I saw the storm on the horizon. It was obviously a big rainstorm was on its way. And I checked social media, I checked the fundraiser page, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like, this thing's catching on, like, people are are really helping this cause. And I did some social media updates, and I was just really excited in a very good mental space, and just more excited to be out of that funk and moving. And so I ran for two miles, and then the coldest rain hit me. Like, it shouldn't have been rain. It was too cold. And I don't know if I washed off the waterproofing on my coat or what happened. But that cold rain just hit me hard. It froze me down to the bone. My arms were so cold. And my gloves, I don't know. They weren't waterproof. They were some of the higher-end gloves I could have picked I was well aware of the situation with the rain, but I had two gear failures right immediately. Then I looked down at my rain pants. They had a hole in them, like kind of a torn seam. They weren't holding air like they normally do. They are, um, again, super high-end. I could pick any gear um, in the world, and it would be worth it because... You know, I know these situations and how dangerous they can quickly spiral. And that's exactly what happened to me. I had massive gear failure, icy rain, and was shivering before the snow. It was so cold. Um, and there was a wind gust. And I just kept pushing. 
and pushing became running for my life. I really, in my head, I was, I was concerned that if I stopped running, I'd freeze to death. You hear people dying of hypothermia, and I was pretty sure I was going hypothermic. Uh, the amount I was shivering and how cold I was was getting desperate. I was blowing air into each arm sleeve and holding the air. I ripped off my gloves and threw them in my pack because they were retaining water and just freezing my hands. And as I was running, I felt my hands getting slower and slower when I made fists. Um, and I was getting scared that I was going to like maybe lose a finger. Um, I was that cold. I was just totally, totally shivering and running, running uphill, running as much as possible. And then the snow came down. And things got really cold. And we, as you know, the snow was coming down, we were climbing up to maybe 9,500 feet. And the combination was just killing me. It was suffering like I've never suffered before in cold. It was so cold. The thought went through my head that I never want to do Everest because I don't want to be this cold. Um, I kept thinking of Bear Grylls. TV show from the Discovery Channel and how, like, literally this was going through my head. I was like, okay, how would he handle this situation? He would immediately rip off all his clothes and start a fire. And I kept thinking, I don't have that option. Like, I have to wear all these cold clothes. And I was just shivering, freezing, and trying to save every exhale of breath because it had heat in it. So I'd trap it in my coat somehow and just kept breathing on my hands and my arms. I was really, really getting scared. And about 80, I'd say 80% up the mountain, the guy's like, hey, can I help you at all? Like, you need anything? Because you look like hell, basically. <laughs> um, I was like, anything warm. I said, And I said that to like six other people. He's like, oh, I have this extra um, puffy coat if you want to borrow it. I was like, uh, yes. <laughs> so John number 20, I think he's from, I don't know, Indiana, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, somewhere, somewhere near the Ice Age trail. Cause he was wearing an Ice Age hat. Um, saved me. I mean, I think I would have made it for the next few miles, but oh my gosh, the amount of suffering went down substantially. And I could actually feel this ball of heat in my chest area. And it was like the best feeling in the world. Um, like I, I think I gave kind of an emotional update on my GoPro there. Cause I was scared for my life. I've never been in that dire of circumstances, like 10 miles from any help. If I hit the spot GPS tracker, um, it would have taken someone two hours to get there. I mean, a helicopter going through a blizzard, I, it just was not a good situation. And it was a good reminder just because it's marked trails and because we have GPS trackers on us that like we're still out in the wild. It's still very, very wild and don't have this, you know, notion that we're in this very, defined like video game situation where you can just get out whenever you want like 
don't forget how wild these races are. Like you have to be prepared for anything. And this was just a really good reminder. Like I had my puffy coat in my drop bag, didn't take it. Um, and I just had massive gear failure and I couldn't point the finger to anyone except for myself. And I literally spent an hour at REI saying, I will, I'll spend the extra money. I just need the best coat available. And you saw all the rain we had at Bighorn 100 during the mud fest and the snow and my gear held up great. You know, I had, I had a great coat there. I used a Patagonia coat there and the zipper broke. And so once again, I was like, I I went back to REI and I need the best coat available. Um, This is what I'm doing. It's extreme. My life could depend on this coat. I had that conversation and, uh, yeah, that North Face coat. I don't know if I washed off the waterproofing or what the hell happened. It was horrible. So dropping down, I mean, the segment would never end. You go down and basically touch Lake Tahoe, and then you work your way back up to the Stephen Jones aid station. Riley, once again, aid station savior, uh, took these just disgustingly wet gloves and warmed them in his truck for me. Um, my stomach started having issues. I was trying to get sleep there. I couldn't leave that aid station mentally without dry gloves and just feeling dry. So, um, luckily had my puffy coat there, got to give back John his, uh, his puffy coat that he loaned to me. Super, super nice dude. And, uh, I think because my body went into such shock trying to get, um, warm and I felt like I was hyperventilating the whole time, by the way, my breath was just out of control. Um, I'm trying to think where I'm going here. Yeah. My stomach just went. So I, I took gummy bears. I was trying to hit sugar flow for like 10 miles to go. That was all we had. We were at mile 195 and, uh, yeah, uh, my stomach just kind of went. So, uh, I couldn't go probably more than two or three miles without having to stop, get off the trail, go out, like go to the bathroom. Um, not fun, but I think when you get that cold, your blood is still going to your vital organs, still, still going to your lungs and your heart and your brain. Um, all the vital things. Cause I was, I was still kind of cold. And so, I mean, to finish this race recap, I mean, the last 10 miles, it was a big climb. I took a few naps and, uh, you know, I, I finally got to that point where I knew where I was. I knew the descent and kind of just took it easy. Um, it's hard to describe, but after running for your life, I needed to not race anymore. I had people pass me. I just didn't care. And I was still trying to kind of register what happened to me out there and how, close of a call that was and how I took for granted a lot. You know, I had really good perspective, but I took for granted, um, how important your gear selection is during these big, long ultras, how exposed and real that situation became, how lucky I was that John happened to have a coat there. Definitely, uh, reduced the amount of suffering by a multiple for me. 
And yeah, I talked to a really nice couple on that big climb. I, uh, so really quick, I was laying down. I had just dozed off and I heard a giant cat like in the woods, just that deep, like, uh, you know what a cat sounds like. It wasn't, it was kind of a growl type sound. I was just like, oh my God, that's a big cat. Like I immediately whipped my head up from sleeping on the trail and uh, I was a little, a little concerned there. And so I, I clanked my poles together, started hiking up quicker. And then slowly this couple caught up to me and uh, you know, we started talking just typical stuff. We were both exhausted and ready for the finish line and he was complaining that he's having stomach issues. My guess is a lot of people after that freezing cold temperature had stomach issues. Um, but he was burping really low, <laughs> like these really low belches. And I was like, so weird question. Like, have you been burping for a while? Like that, did you burp like maybe 10 minutes ago? And, uh, we, we all laughed cause the, uh, what I thought was like this giant, like, I don't know mountain lion of some sort like it really did sound like that through the woods um was actually the guy behind me having stomach problems but yeah the final drop down the ski area it was kind of surreal um going through the finish line it just been it just been a weird race everything was kind of off starting the race late catching back up having great sections feeling almost competitive at points being smacked by that 20 mile section that took 12 hours or whatever, um, to then resetting, having a great like reset, um, to then running for my life. Uh, it was just, it was a weird race. There's so much that happened. It's still hard for me to process exactly, um, what to think of it, what to make of it. So I finished, I think, 87 or 88 hours. So to go from at one point looking at 69, 70, 71, 72 hours and thinking like it's doable to then not even caring what my finish time was and, you know, just being thankful for such basics such as heat and food. Um, it was a lot, a lot to process. I'm still processing it. I'm trying to jot some stuff down so that it can be a chapter in my second book. But thank you guys for checking this out. I did end up picking a white belt buckle that had a dancing bear on it. And uh, that was mainly to represent the snow and the snow drifts. Running, running scared, not for racing purposes, but for my life purposes. And uh, the dancing bear kind of represented all the hallucinations out there, which I'll include elsewhere. Um, and yeah, running, sleep running is the first time I've ever done that. So that was a heck of an experience. And yeah, thanks for checking this out. I'll have more details once I wrap my own head around it. Thanks for listening. And that was my Tahoe 200. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Big thank you again. I'll give a shout out, an extra one to Kogala for supporting sub-Ford Estates before anyone. Um, and I'll be using their waste light 
uh, with my ultimate direction belt at Moab 240. I love the exchangeable battery packs, but if you have your Kogala on low or medium, that even the mid-sized battery lasts quite a while. So, and I swap them out anyways. But thank you again to the core podcast supporters that have just been awesome. Hammer Nutrition, Sufferfest Beer, Destination Trail, Ultimate Direction, and Exoskin. Exoskin, if you want 20% off, feel free to use my code there, T, the number 4U20. I will be using more toe socks than probably most humans uh, will use in a lifetime just during the the fundraising effort i'll leave a link in the show notes if you do want to make any kind of small donation um it's hugely appreciated even if it's a dollar or two um you know if you enjoyed this podcast you're not a patreon supporter and you want a way to uh show your appreciation you know just throw throw in a few dollars into this fundraiser it is a official um charity that this is going to so I will, um, I'll stay in touch. Have a good week. Enjoy your training, guys. Thank you.